0: In this episode, I'm going to bring up some violent topics, including violence against children and suicide. If you're having a hard time and are thinking about suicide, tell someone. There are people who can and will help you out there. The Anthony family went to great lengths to keep up appearances, probably too far. My name is Lainey Hobbs and in this episode of Tracing Darkness, I talk about the mysterious case of Kaylee Anthony, a missing child barely three years old that led to her mother being proclaimed America's most hated mother. The case contains many details, which is why I've divided it into two episodes. This is part two, which picks up where part one left off, If you haven't heard part one yet, I recommend you listen to that first. By the time I finished part one, Kaylee had been missing for a while and her mother Casey was in custody, facing charges of murder or manslaughter. Meanwhile, the case had gained widespread public attention and hundreds of volunteers had signed up to search for Kaylee including Kaylee's grandparents, Cindy and George. On December 11, 2008, nearly six months after Kaylee had disappeared, a man named Roy Kronk, who worked as a meter reader, called 911. He had been driving near a marsh and had pulled into the flower bed to pee when he saw a gray laundry bag in a bush. Something was sticking out of it, and in order to take a closer look, Roy took a measuring stick and poked it into the bag. What he found looked like a small human skull. When police and forensic experts arrived at the scene, they found that Roy's discovery was indeed the remains of a small human. The size suggested it was a child, but because the body had decomposed, it was difficult to judge whether it was a boy or a girl. There was still some hair and skin tissue attached to the skull, as well as some duct tape. Because the body had been left in a laundry bag and because there was duct tape stuck to the skull, the police immediately suspected that the child had been the victim of a crime. The find further contributed to that theory. The fact that the body had been found in a deserted swamp area could suggest that someone had deliberately wanted to dispose of it in a difficult to reach place. And because the remains were found just 400 yards from the Anthony family home, the immediate implication was that it was Kaylee. After an intense search of the site where the bag was found, body parts were found nearby. Animals had probably dragged them in all possible directions. That and the humid and sometimes stormy conditions in Florida made the investigator's job quite difficult. Later, it turned out that this was not the first time Roy Cronk had tried to report the find. On three occasions some months earlier, first on August 11th, then on August 12th, and again on August 13th, he had reported finding the bag. He had not looked in the bag until December, but had put two and two together and found it suspicious that a bag was lying in a hard-to-reach swamp area near the Anthony family home. The first time he had reached out to police, Roy had been advised to call the tip line set up in connection with Kaylee's disappearance, but no one ever followed up on his tip. The second time, some police officers went to the area, but by their own admission, they found nothing. The third time, Roy tried to lead police to the bag, but the rough terrain was too much for the officers, who gave up before they got to it. It seems that the police had treated Roy with a certain arrogance, laughing at his eagerness to help find Kaylee. And Roy had become so offended by the police's behavior that he decided to let it go. Only in December had he returned to the area to see if the bag was still there. And this time he had dared to examine it more closely. If the police had taken the tip seriously from the start and had bothered to investigate it despite the difficult terrain, this case might've turned out differently. Soon, news of Roy's discovery spread to the media and the investigation of the area attracted considerable attention, but police refused to comment on the case until the body was identified. A week later, a DNA test confirmed what had been feared. It was Kaylee's. Due to the poor condition of the body, the exact cause of death could not be determined and probably never will be. As mentioned, duct tape was found on Kaylee's skull, The tape was hanging loosely near the lower jaw, which the coroner thought indicated a homicide. A Winnie the Pooh blanket, which had disappeared from Kaylee's bed, was also found near the scene. The laundry bag in which the body was found had probably also come from the family home. Such bags were sold in packs of two, and only one was found in the home during the investigation. These details gave investigators a clue as to what might have happened to Kaylee. The news of Kaylee's death intensified the hatred towards her mother, Casey. People wanted her convicted of premeditated murder and sentenced to death. After the turn of 2009, the prosecution also announced that it would seek the death penalty if Casey was found guilty. Kaylee's death and the intensified attention that followed affected George in particular, who attempted suicide in 2009 by consuming large quantities of drugs and alcohol. He had been in a motel room when it happened, but was fortunately found in time to be rescued. During the day, George had sent some text messages in which he appeared confused. In them, he had let the family in on his suicidal thoughts. He had also written a goodbye letter saying that he wanted to be reunited with Kaylee, that he was sorry for having been a bad father to Casey and a bad grandfather to Kaylee. In the suicide note, however, he wrote nothing to suggest that he knew more about Kaylee's death than he had previously told. In 2011, Casey's trial began and the American public waited anxiously for her to appear in court and give her side of the story. The goal was as always to find people for the jury who could judge as impartially and as neutrally as possible. That's why it's best to have people who don't know about the case beforehand. With Kaylee's mysterious disappearance and the news of her death having received so much publicity in the US and indeed around the world, the judge, prosecution, and defense knew that this was likely to be impossible. And they were right. Unable to find any suitable jurors in the Orlando area, they had to go to an entirely different district to find jury members. And even with this effort, the jurors probably would have heard about the case beforehand but they probably didn't know all its details. Some of the details, on the other hand, I will get into now that we have come to the trial. First, I will go through the opening statements of the defense and the prosecution. Here, it gets quite detailed, so I will try to give you an overview of what theories were at play in the case. I will also go through some interesting evidence and the final sentencing, but there is so much evidence in this trial that I simply cannot include everything. While you might think that everything worth knowing in this case has already been told, the trial provided some pretty shocking new information, so hang on. On May 24, 2011, the trial of Casey Anthony began. People had started to arrive to secure a seat in the courtroom before four in the morning, and a long line formed in front of the courthouse. So many people wanted to get in that people started fighting to get ahead, and eventually those in charge of security at the courthouse decided that ordinary citizens should not be allowed in the courtroom after all. They would have to access the trial by other means, which they did. An estimated 40 million Americans watched the trial on TV or elsewhere at some point. According to several sources, it is the most watched court event in the US since the trial of OJ Simpson, who was charged and acquitted of murdering his ex-wife and her friend, despite a large body of evidence pointing to him as the perpetrator. In his opening statement, the prosecutor painted a picture of Casey as a real party girl and capable of being a good, responsible mother to her young daughter. According to the prosecutor, Casey only reported her daughter missing because she had to once her mother had involved the police. The prosecutor pointed out that Casey was used to lying her way out of any situation and getting away with it, and therefore, Casey didn't worry that Kaylee's disappearance would be discovered sooner or later. So Casey led a normal life, even though Kaylee had disappeared. She went out partying, entered a hot body contest, and got a tattoo that read Bella Vita or The Good Life. According to the prosecutor, nothing Casey said could be trusted. The prosecutor's theory was that Casey had planned to kill Kaylee because she felt she could not bear the responsibilities that came with motherhood and that she was more interested in partying with friends than raising her daughter. In his statement, the prosecutor directly said that Casey was the only one who had benefited from Kaylee's death as it allowed her to lead the unscrupulous life she wanted to live. The prosecutor said that it would become clear to the jury that Casey killed her daughter, that she was guilty of planning and executing a first-degree murder. As Casey listened to all this, she sat with an annoyed look on her face and shook her head in disagreement. In his statement, the prosecutor presented, among other things, the results of some technical tests on Casey's car. The tests indicated that there had been a partially decomposed body in the trunk. Traces of the substance chloroform had been found. Hair from Cayley, which had been found in the car, had a black ring at the root of the hair. According to forensic analysis, this black ring indicated that the hair could have come loose from a dead person. The prosecutor pointed out that the family's computer had been searched for a number of suspicious words on the internet, including chloroform and how to make chloroform. There had also been a search for how to make a gun out of things in the home. As these searches had been made at the same time as the computer was logged into Casey's MySpace account, the prosecution considered that it must have been Casey who had made the Google searches. Additionally, Cindy was at work when the searches happened while George was only at home part of the time during the searches.
1: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down.
0: According to the prosecution, the clear sign of murder was the duct tape found on Kaylee's skull. The prosecution argued that her airway must have been blocked by the tape. They further argued that Casey must have drugged Kaylee with chloroform and then suffocated her by taping her nose and mouth shut with the duct tape. After Kaylee died, Casey had lifted the body into the trunk of her car in the laundry bag and then stored it there for a few days. When the smell from the corpse's initial decomposition had become too bad, Casey had dumped the body in the marshland near her home. To cover up the particularly nasty smell in the car, Casey had put a bag full of waste in the trunk of her car, in the hope that the stench would mask the smell of the body. For those well-versed in the trial, there was little new information to be gleaned from the prosecutor's opening remarks. The only new information was the search results from the family's computer and the traces of chloroform found in the car. The information provided by the defense, on the other hand, was far more surprising and shocking, and many who watched the trial could not believe what Casey's lawyer, Jose Baez, said in his opening statement. I'll present that now. He said, Casey didn't report her daughter missing because she knew Kaylee wasn't missing, but that she was dead. That's what the defense attorney claimed in his opening statement. But he said to everyone's surprise, George had known all along too. According to the defense on June 16th, 2008, the day after Father's Day, when she and Casey had a big fight in the evening, Cindy had left for work while Casey, George and Kaylee had stayed home. Suddenly Casey and George had noticed that Kaylee was nowhere to be seen. So they started looking for her, and George then found Kaylee drowned in the family swimming pool in the backyard. I mentioned in the last episode that Cindy always used to remove the ladder to the pool when it wasn't in use. Cindy's colleague said that on June 17th, the day after Kaylee drowned in the swimming pool, according to the defense lawyer, Cindy had mentioned that she was surprised that the ladder had been brought to the pool again without them using it. According to the defense lawyer, it was Casey who had carried the ladder to the edge of the pool without keeping Kaylee under supervision. When George found Kaylee in the pool, he had scolded Casey saying she was irresponsible and a bad mother and that she would go to jail for life if the authorities found out what she had done. According to the defense, George and Casey then agreed that George should dispose of Kaylee's body on his way to work. The defense backed up this theory by going into detail about Casey and George's phone and computer use. The family's computer was searched for suffocation and suicide However, according to the defense, the searches had nothing directly to do with Kaylee's death. Rather, they were because Casey was so racked with guilt that she wanted to commit suicide. I mentioned earlier that shortly after this, Casey had called some friends and also received a phone call from her father that had lasted only 26 seconds. During this call, George had allegedly told Casey that everything was under control and that he had hidden Kaylee's body away. The defense also pointed out that Casey and George did not call each other at all in the days that followed, although they usually called weekly or even daily. This was because, according to the defense, they could not bear to be in contact because of their guilt over Kaylee's death. Casey had learned to lie from home, so claimed the defense, which explained Casey's lies about her job and the nanny by referring to a dark family secret. Casey had become so good at lying, the defense explained, because that was how she covered up the fact that George had sexually abused her since she was eight years old. In a very detailed and disgusting way, Casey's defense attorney described how George's abuse of his daughter had led to Casey's web of lies. Casey had lied to cover up the abuse her entire life, and it had also taught her to lie about other unpleasant things in her life, including the most extreme things like Kaylee's drowning accident. The defense not only accused George, but also claimed that Casey's brother Lee had molested his sister, going so far as to suggest that it wasn't entirely impossible that either George or Lee could be Kaylee's biological father. However, a DNA test refuted this claim. That George had abused Casey came as a complete shock to everyone, but while Jose described the abuse, George and Cindy sat in their seats and listened blankly. The accusation had not previously been reported in the media, but it should be known that George and Cindy had been warned in advance that the defense would place the blame on George and that the defense would raise the issue of sexual abuse. The couple who had been given special permission to watch the trial from the public gallery although they were also witnesses in court, had been told not to react to what was said during the trial. So they sat transfixed, listening to what the defense had to say, and Casey sat in her seat crying. George Anthony was called as the first witness. It was not an easy task for George to testify, and in the video footage of the trial, you can see how he breaks down and tearfully answers the defense's questions. Even before the trial, the temperamental man had received training on how to behave in a courtroom, but he wasn't always able to keep his emotions and reactions in check, which is perhaps not surprising given what he was accused of. During his interrogation, the defense brought up George's suicide attempt. The suicide attempt took place a month after Kaylee's body was found, and the defense believed it indicated remorse on George's part for disposing of her body. Furthermore, the defense argued that the suicide attempt reinforced the theory that George had abused his daughter. The defense said that George feared that DNA from Kaylee would reveal that he was in fact the father of the child and that George had attempted suicide to avoid being confronted with his deeds. However, the defense did not bring up the sexual abuse during the questioning of George, probably because they knew George would deny everything and that it would not help their case in any way. When the prosecutor came to question George, he immediately raised the issue, asking him directly if he had ever abused his daughter, to which George replied firmly that he never, ever had. The prosecutor also asked if George had been present when Kaylee died. To this, George replied in denial that it hurt him that Casey would lie about being involved in Kaylee's death. George was also asked if he had smelled the body that had been in his daughter's car when he and Cindy picked it up. He answered yes to that. George, who had previously worked as a police officer, described the smell as something you can't forget again. As he had approached the trunk from which he had caught the unmistakable smell of a body decomposing, he had blurted out that he hoped he wouldn't find his grandchild or daughter in the back of the car. He didn't. When he opened the trunk, it was filled with waste and maggots. But even though he didn't find a body in the car, it still smelled so much like it that he drove the car home with all the windows rolled down. Cindy Anthony was also called to the stand. From her testimony, it was clear that she still wanted to believe that Casey had done nothing wrong and gave both the prosecution and defense answers that supported her daughter's innocence. First, Cindy said that when she had said in the 911 call that Casey's car smelled like a dead body, she had meant it figuratively, not literally. Furthermore, Cindy said that the chloroform in the trunk of the car must have come from its previous owner. They had bought the car second-hand. I mentioned earlier that the family computer had been searched for chloroform. To everyone's surprise, Cindy said that she was the one who had done the searches, even though she had been at work at the times in question. According to Cindy, she had intended to search Google for chlorophyll which the autocorrect had then changed to chloroform. And Cindy had only discovered this when she had already clicked on the first link the search engine had given her. According to Cindy, she Googled various poisons because she suspected that her dog had been poisoned by a strange plant growing in the backyard. Cindy said she then became concerned about other common household chemicals and started Googling them to see if they could be dangerous to either their dog or to Kaylee. Cindy argued that she could run the searches because her work hours were flexible. Cindy said, however, that she hadn't googled make weapons out of things in the home or shovel, which had been found on the computer search history, but that she had googled break neck because one of her friends had been in a serious car accident and had suffered neck injuries. It is widely believed that Cindy lied during part of her testimony, because at the time the Google searches were conducted on the family's home computer, someone was logged into Cindy's work computer. Moreover, Cindy's employer denied that Cindy had flexible hours, rarely the case for nurses in hospitals, although it is unclear whether the jury bought Cindy's explanation that it was she who was using the computer. It is possible that some of them at least considered it a possibility. The testimony about chloroform was important to the prosecution, because it was the only evidence that Casey planned to kill Kaylee, And with that evidence, it was possible to convict Casey of first-degree murder, which is precisely what requires proof of a planned killing. It was to the prosecution's detriment that Cindy undermined the credibility of this theory. The prosecution's strongest evidence was the hair and chloroform residue found in the trunk of the family's car. There were several witnesses at the trial who said that the hair found in the trunk of the car belonged to a female member of the family. And since the hair was completely undyed and untreated, it had to belong to Kaylee. As mentioned, the black ring at the root of the hair indicated that it had been detached from the head of a deceased person who had already gone into a state of decomposition. Chloroform can occur naturally when a body decomposes. This was also pointed out during the trial However, the amount of chloroform found in the trunk was so large that the body alone could not explain it. This supported the theory that Casey had drugged her daughter with the chemical and then murdered her by putting duct tape over Kaylee's nose and mouth. The duct tape was also discussed at length during the trial. According to prosecution witnesses, including the medical examiner, there was nothing to explain the tape on the skull other than that it had been used as a murder weapon. Much of what is written about Kaylee's disappearance describes the tape as being wrapped around Kaylee's skull. However, this is just the coroner's theory. When the body was found, it was so decomposed that the tape had come loose and was only slightly attached. In addition, it was also possible that animals could have moved the tape. The area in which Kaylee was found was very hot and humid, which may have caused the adhesive on the tape to loosen quickly. Although it could not be established with certainty that the tape had been over Kaylee's mouth and nose, the prosecution still claimed that it had been used to kill the child because they had no other explanation. The prosecutor also pointed out that there had been a small red heart-shaped sticker on the duct tape and that a similar sticker sheet had been found in Kaylee's room in the family's home. They also said that although the tape had partially come off, it was so tightly attached to the lower jaw that it had held the jawbones to the skull. Because of the advanced deterioration, they would have normally loosened. Despite several technical examinations, no fingerprints or DNA had been found on the duct tape. And during the expert testimony, it was also stated that the examinations of the hairs, as well as the chloroform, had been carried out using completely new methods and that these findings and results could therefore not be considered reliable. According to the defense, The smell in the car was due to a bag of trash left in the trunk of the car, not the presence of a body. The defense had a completely different theory about the duct tape that had been found on Kaylee's body. According to the defense, it was clear that the tape had only been applied to the skull after the body had decomposed. One of the pieces of proof of this argument was that no DNA was found on the tape, not even on the side of the tape that had been lying against Kaylee's skin. The defense therefore argued that the tape had been attached to the skull because someone wanted to move the body, and this person, according to the defense, was the same person who found the body, namely Roy Cronk. According to the defense... Roy was upset that the police had not taken his discovery seriously when he had repeatedly approached them in August 2008. According to the defense, he had therefore taken the laundry bag with him with the intent of bringing it back to the same area when he needed money. A $250,000 reward was offered to anyone who could find Kaylee. When Roy finally reported finding the skull in the swamp last December... His car had just broken down and he needed a large sum of money to either repair it or buy a brand new car. If this theory is followed through, Roy would have taped up the skull and stored the body for several months, then returned it to the site. According to the defense, it did not make sense that the body had not been found until December, and therefore Roy had to have hidden it. They claimed this despite the heavy rains and storms which had left the area completely flooded for much of the late summer and autumn, making it impossible to search. In court, Roy admitted that he had boasted to his children that he would become famous and possibly rich after providing a crucial lead in the Cayley case. He also admitted that in December, when he examined the bag more closely and found the skull, he lifted the skull into the air by pushing his measuring equipment into its eye socket. Of course, he shouldn't have done that, and one can only imagine what potentially important evidence was destroyed as a result. Roy said he never should have moved the body and claimed he had never seen it in the bag before that day in December. According to Roy, it was only then that he ever had his lurking suspicions confirmed that there were body parts in the laundry bag. The defense addressed the prosecutor's argument that Casey had a desire to get rid of her daughter— The defense pointed out that this theory was not credible. Casey's friends who testified in court believed that Casey was a good mother who always wanted the best for her daughter. One friend said that during her pregnancy, Casey had talked about giving her child up for adoption, but that Cindy had talked her out of it. And when Kaylee was finally born, it never came up again. None of the friends had witnessed any neglect of Kaylee or had any suspicion of it. When it was mentioned during the trial that Casey had occasionally drugged her child with chloroform, The friends were asked about that as well. All said, they had never heard Casey talk about such a thing, nor did they believe Casey was capable of it. When Casey was out partying, Cindy bombarded her with text messages, asking Casey to come home and tuck Kaylee in, which made it hard for friends to believe the claim that Casey drugged her daughter. She woke up in the middle of the night anyway. When Casey and Kaylee slept over at any of Casey's friends' houses, Casey often had trouble getting Kaylee to sleep, but always managed to eventually, without drugs or chemicals, they said. So, to them, it was hard to see why she would have used that stuff to get Kaylee to calm down. Consistent with these positive descriptions, however, all of the friends reported that they noticed no change in Casey's behavior after Kaylee disappeared. Casey seemed like herself and had told her friends and her boyfriend, Tony, that Kaylee was with her grandparents or with her nanny, and she did not mention to any of them that Kaylee had been abducted by her nanny. The defense found it unlikely that Casey would have killed her child to gain personal freedom. Cindy and George loved Kaylee and were happy to care for her, and Cindy had even talked about seeking custody of Kaylee. The defense therefore argued that Casey could have transferred responsibility for Kaylee at any time, and thus did not have to kill her to be free of responsibility for her. As for Casey's friends and her boyfriend Tony, they all turned their backs on Casey after the details of Kaylee's disappearance and death came to light. They did not want to be associated with Casey in any way. Although many were curious to hear what Casey had to say, she did not testify once during the trial. Jose Baez, Casey's defense attorney, did not once mention the allegation of abuse or the claim that Kaylee had accidentally drowned. He probably didn't because he knew that neither could be proven. And of course, he wanted to avoid having that pointed out to him. Before the defense lawyer made his final remarks, the judge had even forbidden him from bringing up the allegations of George's abuse of Casey because according to the judge, there was nothing to back up the claim. The trial lasted just over a month and the jury deliberated for about 11 hours. The end of the trial and the final sentencing were watched both outside the courthouse and in many other places in Florida and throughout the United States. There are videos on YouTube showing how people reacted when they heard the verdict. On July 5th, 2011, the jury acquitted Casey of murder and neglect charges. However, they found Casey guilty of lying to police and thus interfering with an investigation. The verdict really came as a shock and a surprise to everyone, judging by Casey's reaction when the judge read out the verdict. I think even she looks a little surprised. The biggest surprise was that Casey was found not guilty of murder, manslaughter, or child neglect. This basically meant that the jury found that it was not proven that Casey had anything to do with Kaylee's death. Later when the jury commented on the case, they said that although many people believed Casey was guilty, the evidence was insufficient. The prosecution could not conclusively prove how Cayley had died and they could not conclusively link Casey to Cayley's death. The judge in the case also said that he had difficulty accepting the jury's verdict. When given the verdict to read before sentencing, the judge read it silently to himself several times because he could not believe he was reading it correctly. According to the jury, most of the evidence presented by the prosecution was circumstantial. One juror told People magazine 10 years later that even though no jurors liked Casey Anthony, even though she seemed like a terrible person, the prosecution just didn't give enough clear evidence to convict her. The prosecution presented a whole lot of evidence that gave them the impression that Casey had probably done something wrong, but not beyond a reasonable doubt. The jury also said that some of the technical evidence was so convoluted and had been referred to in such complicated terms during the trial that it was beyond their comprehension. Following the verdict, the jurors were subjected to hate mail and at least one member also received threatening letters. According to the jurors, none of them wanted Casey to get away with the act without consequences, but they felt that under the law, they had no choice but to find her innocent, Since Casey was acquitted, she can no longer be charged with the murder or manslaughter of Kaylee. Some jurors have said they would make a different decision today than they did then. And some have outright said they regret not doing more to challenge the other jurors' decision to acquit Casey. Although jurors have said that the acquittal was primarily due to weak evidence, the fact is that the outcome of a trial is usually always influenced by other factors. Jurors in this case have said that the way the defense presented itself during the trial was sympathetic and seemed to care about Kaylee, while the prosecution seemed arrogant and cold. Casey's father George also said that he believed the outcome was influenced by the fact that the defense was able to put on a better show than the prosecution. One of the reasons for the acquittal may also be that the prosecution asked for the death penalty. It may be that many jurors were reluctant because this verdict is so final and irrevocable. However, this does not explain why Casey was not even found guilty of manslaughter, which would not have been punishable by death. In the end, Casey got a four-year prison sentence for lying to police, but since she had already been in jail for a while waiting for her trial to start, she ended up spending only 10 more days in jail. Later, the Supreme Court overturned two convictions Casey had received for lying to investigators— Casey also had to pay fines, but eventually filed for bankruptcy because she couldn't possibly pay them. On a side note, a woman from Orlando named Zenaida Gonzalez tried to file a civil suit against Casey and claimed damages because her name was involved in such a big and highly publicized murder case. The case was dismissed, probably because Casey, who had accused Zenaida Gonzalez of kidnapping Kaylee, had not made any accusations against this Zenaida. When Casey filed for bankruptcy, her financial situation was investigated, and some salacious details emerged about how Casey may have paid her lawyer, Jose Baez. A private investigator who had worked for the defense, i.e. Casey and Jose, had found evidence that Casey paid Jose with sexual favors. For example, the private investigator had once surprised Casey naked in Jose's office. Then Casey admitted that they had a somewhat atypical settlement agreement. One of the judges who had ordered Casey's remand had to remind Jose not to hug Casey in court and to keep his relationship with Casey more civil. Casey and Jose both denied the private investigator's allegations. Since the trial, Casey has tried to stay out of the public eye, not always with equal success. Casey has lived all over Florida and has worked as a photographer and as a private investigator's assistant. The last time she was inquired about in 2022, Casey was apparently still working for a private investigator firm. She has given one interview, which apparently went so well that she hasn't given any interviews since. In this interview, she said, among other things, much to the annoyance of others, that she doesn't care what others think of her, and that she sleeps pretty well at night. Casey also said she doesn't know what happened to Kaylee or how she died. After the trial, Casey's mother, Cindy, initially distanced herself from her daughter— but now they have some kind of contact. Something suggests it's not the normal mother-daughter relationship they have. Casey's brother Lee and father George have said they never, ever want anything to do with Casey. Cindy and George are still married and their marriage has apparently not even been shaken by the fact that they disagree about whether or not Casey is responsible for Kaylee's death. Cindy believes that Kaylee drowned in the pool and that Casey then panicked and hit her daughter's body. She also believes that Casey became so emotionally upset about what happened that she went out partying and got a tattoo to take her mind off of it. According to Cindy, the incident was an accident and nobody's fault. George, on the other hand, has stated that he suspects Casey may have used some drug or narcotic to sedate Kaylee, from which she then accidentally died, and that he doesn't believe Casey intended to kill Kaylee. George believes that someone may have helped Casey dispose of the body, and he also believes that Casey had previously drugged Kaylee so that she could walk away from her for long periods of time. George had once noticed that Kaylee slept for 13 hours straight without waking, and when she finally did wake up, she seemed very drugged. George has openly said that he believes Casey should have been punished and served her sentence in prison. He also said that he will sue Casey if she ever tries to make money from her daughter's death. For example, by writing a book or making a documentary about the case. Rumor has it, however, that Casey is doing just that. Writing a book about Kaylee's death and making a documentary about the case. About the possible future projects, Casey has stated that she wants to give her side of the story. Amazingly, Casey and O.J. Simpson have reportedly been in talks for a reality series together. The Casey Anthony case has often been compared to the O.J. Simpson case but perhaps the strangest thing is that Casey has compared herself to OJ Simpson, which seems odd given how controversial a person Simpson is in American culture. I personally believe that Casey did something to her daughter and that Kaylee died as a result. At the same time, however, I agree that the prosecution failed to paint a clear enough picture of what happened during the trial. There is no crime scene, no exact time of the murder, and no murder weapon. In fact, there is not even certainty that Kaylee died as a result of murder because the cause of death was never established. I think Casey was so used to lying and getting away with what she lied about that it never occurred to her that at some point she would have to explain what had happened to Kaylee. The case of Kaylee Anthony has received an absurd amount of attention and many have wondered what it is about this case that interests so many people. I think a lot of the interest has to do with the people involved Casey's web of lies makes her out to be a bizarre character, a bizarre character who was, however, found mentally sane during the trial. She was not diagnosed with any personality disorders, for example. And according to the psychiatrist, she was only a little bit selfish. But even this could be explained by her young age. In addition to Casey, the other people involved in the case are also unusual characters and Cindy and Casey's abnormal dynamic in particular has been the subject of much public interest. Cindy apparently believed and still believes Casey's lies and has often defended her daughter. At the same time, Casey seems to dislike her mother. George is also a curious character in his own right, although I think he is second only to Casey's brother Lee as the most rational person in the Anthony clan, since even long before Kaylee died, he did not believe Casey's lies. It's a bit sad, though, that because of the bizarre characters and details of this case, Kaylee takes a backseat, even though she is the victim here and should be the focus of the whole story. Kaylee's murder is officially unsolved, and she has thus never received justice. And frankly, I don't think there will be any change in the situation unless Casey suddenly decides to tell the truth about what happened. There is a huge amount of information about this case several books, documentaries, and thousands of news articles. So if you want, you can get the family history laid out there from A to Z and almost meticulously describe what each family member did after Kaylee disappeared. So if you're still interested in the case, there are plenty of places to look for more information. As in many other high-profile cases, the problem here is that the information or the way it's presented is often not entirely unbiased. So I would advise you to be aware of that. That's all I had to say this time. I hope you enjoyed listening. I'm Lainey Hobbs, and this was Tracing Darkness. The show is originally created by Tilda Loksonen and adapted into English by Podster. Thanks for listening. Next time, we'll be tracing the steps of another interesting case.